Hi, this is Glenn Rawson. One of the most powerful ways to share history and heritage is by the telling of stories. We began sharing inspiring stories nearly 30 years ago. Each of those stories is true and was intended to inspire and strengthen faith. Over the years, those stories have reached millions around the world. This podcast is for you to listen, learn, and enjoy. Hello, everyone, and welcome. The stories that I want to present tonight are close to the heart. I am talking to those who believe in the restored gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the living Christ, the loving Christ, the Christ that is still the author and finisher of our faith. And as long as we're not finished, he's not finished. He is with us. He loves us. He knows us and is intimately involved in our lives. He is indeed the Alpha and Omega, and the Omega, he is not done yet. The end is not here yet, so he's not done until you are. Those of you who believe in the mercies of the living Christ are the ones I'm talking to tonight. So to begin this story, Moses and Cornelia Clausen were well established in Steuben County, New York, when in the fall, actually just before that time, they had heard rumors about a gold Bible or a new church. Then in the fall of 1830, they were visited by a man named Colonel John Stevens, who told them the story of the golden Bible. Of that news, Moses Clausen said, it thrilled me through like an electric shock. My desire was to get the book. Somehow he was able to get a copy of the book and he read it through and believed it. But by that time, there was no one there to baptize them. There was evidently no church presence where they were. They were about 65, 70 miles south of Fayette, New York. Finally, in 1834, some elders came into the area. Then in 1835, elders John Gould and Amos Babcock came in, taught the family the restored gospel, and they were baptized. Moses would later say, as he was confirmed, that he was visited with a feeling for several days as though my whole frame was on fire, through which I received great knowledge as pertaining to the things of God. I've been studying the last week or so intently, Third Nephi, where the Savior said that if you are baptized by water, I will baptize you with fire. And Moses Clausen was a classic example. Well, as so frequently happened among the saints, once Moses and Cornelia had joined the church, they determined that they were then going to gather with the saints to Missouri. At that time in 1835, the church presence was in Kirtland and it was also in Missouri. So they were going to go to Missouri, but on the way they would stop in in Kirtland. So on the 11th of May, 1836, the Clausen family 
set out for Kirtland, Ohio. Now I quote from the record. This is written by a third party, but it's based on Moses's biography. On the second day of the trip, near the bank of the Genesee River in New York, their 12-year-old son, Ebenezer, was driving the team. These are my words now. As they came to the river, the father, Moses, said, pull up the team right here, and Ebenezer was guiding the team, and the team was slogging through the mud. And then suddenly, one of the oxen slipped in the mud on the bank of the river and tried to regain its footing. It sent the other ox into a panic, and it began to thrash. Both oxen began to bellow. It was a moment of chaos. The wagon turned and evidently jackknifed, and Ebenezer was in the way, and he fell under the wagon, and the oxen pulled it forward and pulled the heavy loaded wagon. They weighed, these aren't handcarts, these are wagons. They weighed tons. He pulled the wagon right over Ebenezer's body and right over his head. When Moses finally got to the oxen and got them out of the way and cleared and calmed down and ran back for his son, his son was unconscious, lying in the mud. For all intents and purposes, he looked like he was dead. And most accidents like this, if you know anything about the trail, most accidents like this involving children, they did die. So many stories to that effect. But then Ebenezer came to. His head was cut open, and as he came to, he said, Oh, my back. He was in terrible pain. So his father gathered him up and ran about a half a mile to a mile to the nearest town and found a hotel room, got in there, and summoned a doctor. Someone went out to fetch the doctor. Word went all over town where's the doctor? No one could find the doctor. Someone said he had gone to a nearby town to fetch supplies. What were they going to do? They said the doctor would be back by nightfall, but Moses knew his son would be dead by that time. And as they stood there wondering what to do, all of a sudden, in walked four well-dressed young men. They were Elder Rufus Fisher, Elder Moon, and two other companions. Moses looked at the missionaries and said, we are in your hands. Now do as you think best. The leading elder requested that those who wanted to stay could, but others could leave the room if they wanted. They then closed the door. They anointed Ebenezer with oil and began to bless him. They promised him that in just a few hours, he would be made well and they could resume their journey. Moses wrote, a short time later, my son awoke and said, Father, let us go on. Moses wrote, we traveled six miles further and camped for the night my injured son driving the team part of that time. The wound on his head, he said, 
healed without ever swelling, only leaving a scar. We then continued on to Kirtland, where we arrived on the 23rd of May. God is good. I can't impress upon you enough how merciful he is. Never take advantage. Never make light of that. Never consider it a vain thing. It is the mercy of God that is our hope of salvation. And he is abundant with his mercies. I found someone that I'd forgotten about when I was preparing for this fireside. I'm almost certain somebody out there is related to this dear sister. Her name is Sarah Diarman P. Rich, P as in P-E-A, P. Rich. The P family, Sarah, actually more precisely, was born September 23rd, 1814, in St. Clair County, Illinois, on Looking Glass Prairie, about 25 miles east of St. Louis. In the summer of 1835, missionaries came into the area, and Sarah and her family were baptized as members of the church. Shortly after the family determined that they were going to go to Missouri, she said, at different times, many of the elders going on missions would call at fathers and stop and hold meetings. She said one of the elders, who had been several times at our house, took a great deal of pains counseling me and my sister to be careful and not marry anyone that did not believe as we did, and told us the consequences that might be the means of our not having the privilege of gathering with the saints. And once, she said, evidently the elder came back more than once, once when he called, he said to me, I've got to quote this, he had recommended me to a very fine young man that he thought would make me such a good companion and told me his name. <laughs> Missionary matchmaker. Well, so that passed on for some months and another elder, a different elder, came and stopped and preached in the area, and while talking to us girls about our gathering at the church, he turned to me and he said, Sister Sarah, I have got a good young elder in the church picked out for you as a husband. Well, said I, this is Sarah talking, tell us what his name is, for that is the second one that has been selected for me as husband. And when the elder mentioned the name of the elder he had in mind to marry Sarah, Sarah says, behold, it was the name that the other elder had told me up several months before. <laughs> what are the chances of that? Well, she says, this caused lots of comments in our family, and they would often tell me to look out for this fine young elder when he finally came along. After a while, the two elders returned to our house that first preached there. Now, this is a different set of elders than the other two. These are the one that had baptized me, said to me, Sister Sarah, while I was at Kirtland, I recommended you to a very worthy young man who was an elder in the church. And when I told him of you, the young man said, that same girl has been recommended to me twice before. And now 
I must hunt her up. Well, Sarah said, so when I inquired his name, it was the same as the two other missionaries had recommended to me. We all wondered, she said, thinking how strange this all should be. Then she said, about a month later, she received word that her father had received a letter at the post office. In those days, mail was unpredictable and slow. When a letter came for you, you went to the post office, you as the receiver paid the postage, and then you got your letter. Well, she went down, claimed the letter, and then opened it, read it. I guess that was also in the days before mail was private. She opened the letter and read it, discovering that inside the letter was one directed to her. She said, on opening mine, I found it was this same young man that had been recommended to me so many times before. She said, I truly was struck with wonder and surprise. As a matter of course, it set me to thinking of the matter, and I could not help but think that the hand of the Lord had something to do in this matter. You think? Well, she said, I wondered if the Lord had a hand in this because I had always prayed, she said, for my future husband. Interesting thought. Well, at any rate, 50 some years later, she would write, I still have that letter and will copy the same in this book. This is her autobiography although it was written 50 years ago. And she said, we wrote many letters back and forth after that, but this one, she says, is special and I keep it. Well, she said, it was almost six months later after she received this letter that her father sold his property in Illinois and moved to Missouri, far west Missouri. It was about two weeks later that she went to meeting. And as she's sitting in church, she looks around the meeting house, and there's a young man. He stands out in the crowd like a wart on a witch's nose, and she knows instantly who he was before they were introduced. She said, our eyes first rested on each other, and without anyone pointing us out to each other, we knew each other at sight. And four months later, she said, from the time we first met, we were married on the 11th of February, 1838, in far west Caldwell County, Missouri. Yes, what a wonderful story. There's a PS to this. There's a rest of the story. Years ago, when Dennis Lyman and I first began shooting television shows for History of the Saints, we journeyed out to Missouri for a monument that was being dedicated. And while we were there, we took occasion to go on a tour of northern Missouri with the man who knows church history in Missouri better than anybody living, Dr. Alex Baugh of BYU. As we ventured around looking at places that no one on any church history ever gets to see, church history tour, Alex took us to a little out-of-the-way place on the beautiful, verdant Missouri prairie. And he showed us the remnants of a rundown, beat up, weathered old cabin that someone was making a valiant effort to restore, but was so far gone, it was a wonder if they would ever make it succeed. I don't know that they ever did. Maybe they did. 
And then Alex announced, this was the honeymoon cottage of Charles C. and Sarah D. Armin P. Rich. Knowing the rest of the story, if you ever get to go out there, if it's still there, the cabin of Charles and Sarah Rich, you need to see it. It's a beautiful place. And you can just, even though I didn't know this story at the time, just being at that place, I could sense, well, I don't want to go too far with that, but I could sense that there was something special about this place. I have three stories about Sarah that I took from her biography. And I know it's probably not fair to spend my whole night talking about Sarah D. Armand P. Rich, but I've only scratched the surface of wonderful, tender mercies of the Lord manifested in that woman's life. For example, let me back up in their life and talk about the time when she first learned of the church. She said her family there in Illinois on Silver Creek, her family were members of the Reformed Methodist Church. She said two elders came into the area and began to preach about a new prophet, a new book of scripture, and the church, and about the angels of the Lord that had appeared. Well, she said, my father invited them to stop all night, which invitation they accepted as they were then on their way to Kirtland, which was about 500 miles away. After supper was over, Sarah says, that her father went throughout the neighborhood and scattered the word and let everybody know that the elders were going to preach. A number of neighbors gathered to listen to the missionaries. But after hearing about the Book of Mormon, Sarah was so anxious, she asked if she could see a copy of the book. And they handed her a copy of the book, and she excused herself and went off for the rest of the evening and read the book. She said, and I quote, I truly was greatly astonished at its contents, that it left an impression upon my mind not to be forgotten. For in fact, she said, the book appeared to be open before my eyes for weeks. But she said the very next morning, the missionaries bid us goodbye and started on their journey for Ohio. Sarah says, I didn't think we'd ever see those young men again. Six weeks later. Now, mind you, six weeks later, Sarah said, I had a dream concerning those missionaries. I dreamed on a Friday night that they would come to our house the next evening just as the sun would be setting. And they would first come in sight at the end of a long lane in front of our house. I also dreamed, she said, that I met them on the porch and of the remark that was made both by them and the remark made by myself, which, she said, I will relate later on. Well, the following morning, Sarah comes downstairs knowing that her father and mother are going to the town of Belleville, which is about nine miles away. And while they were sitting there at breakfast, Sarah said to her father, please come home early tonight. And her father, and I can appreciate this because I'm a dad with daughters, said, why are you so particular? Is your young man coming? And she said, no, father, but those two Mormon elders will be here tonight, meaning those same two will be here tonight. Why? Have you heard from them? 
And Sarah said, no, but I dreamed last night that they would be here. And I feel sure, she said, that it will be so. Father said, I must be crazy, for those men were hundreds of miles away. Nevertheless, Sarah said, Father, hurry home this evening, for I am sure they will come. Her father left laughing. And he and mother, she said, went off to town. Then said my sister, let us prepare for those men, for they will surely be here. And then she too walked off laughing. Well, it was a Saturday. And in preparation for the Sabbath, they did what they always did. They cooked, they cleaned, they baked, they got ready and prepared for the Sabbath so they didn't have to work on the Sabbath day. She said, and I quote, sure enough, just as the sun was setting, they made their appearance just where I dreamed I first saw them. I met them at the porch and bid them the time of day by saying, I have been looking for you to come. Why, said they, had you heard we were coming? No, said I, but I dreamed last night that you were coming and I felt sure you would be here. To which one of the elders replied, well, and we had a vision that we were to return here and baptize you and build up a church in this region. I said, this is Sarah talking. Well, that is something for the future. But she said, I bid them to take chairs and be comfortable for my father and mother drove into the yard. And as I was standing on the porch, my father said to me, well, Sarah, where are your Mormon elders? She said, I told him they were in the house. At the same time, they stepped out onto the porch to meet my father, who seemed struck with astonishment, remembering what I had told him in the morning about my dream. But after supper was over, the evening was well spent in conversing about the principles of the gospel, which they preached to the people, and we became more and more interested in what they told us. They went on teaching the gospel, more about the Book of Mormon, more about the restoration, and they held meetings, and many people came from the community. Sarah says, by this time, I was truly convinced that their doctrine was from God. And on the next morning, I went forth and was baptized. It was on the 15th of December, and they had to cut the ice to baptize me. She was the first in the area to receive the ordinance of baptism. She said, I was truly convinced that this was the true gospel, and never for one moment since have I doubted it. And it has now been 54 years since I embraced Mormonism, and I feel thankful to my Heavenly Father that I overheard and embraced the truth of this Latter-day work. End of quote. I feel the same. Over the air, I can't say what I feel right here. But a long time ago, I was given a glimpse, not a vision. I'm not that good enough of a man. Not a vision, a glimpse. For just a moment in time, as a spiritual impression, I was allowed to see what I had been 
before I became a member of the church compared to what I was at that moment. I was allowed to see where the trajectory of my life would have taken me had I continued as compared to the trajectory of my life after receiving baptism. And the sight and understanding, the comprehension that I received so reduced me to tears that I wept for hours and was a waste of skin in my seminary class for the rest of the day. But I have never forgotten the tender mercies of Almighty God, who, as Alma said, and the sons of Mosiah, snatched me from everlasting burnings. Why did he ever take pity on me? I don't know, but I'll be forever grateful that he did. Thank you for listening. Many of the stories you heard today have been published and are archived at glenrossonstories.com. If you would like more information, you can communicate with us there. We will be back again with another podcast next week.